Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. And now look at what he says here. Verse 2, Genesis 15. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. What good is any more reward? You said that you're going to give me a great reward? I don't want a reward. I have no one to share it with. I have no one to leave it to. He goes on. He says this. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. I have a servant that is in line to receive my fortune because you haven't given me the promise that you promised those many years ago. See, here's the issue. Abram is struggling with doubt because God didn't do what he said he was gonna do fast enough for Abram. I want you to realize this, that God's will outside of God's time is not really God's will at all. You understand that, don't you? You can't say that you want God's will and demand when it takes place. It's not possible. God's will only happens in God's time. That's why it's such a beautiful thing when Jesus says to his disciples, you want to know how to pray? This is how you should pray. Pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a surrendered prayer. God, I'm not trying to force my opinion on you. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. I want you to tell me what needs to take place. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's a powerful prayer. And just in case you wondered whether or not Jesus was able to pray that prayer when it mattered, the Garden of Gethsemane proves it. He's sweating drops of blood. The cross is awaiting him. He says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Absolute surrender, God's will at God's time. That's the way I want to be able to pray. Where were you, God? I haven't seen your promises come to pass. Why haven't you done what you told me you were going to do? You say that you are a God who can perform these promises. Well, I haven't seen it yet. And so Abram is doubting. Look at in God's grace what God does here for him. Verse 4, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your servant shall not be your heir. Your very own son, literally in the Hebrew, a son from your own flesh, a son from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I'm going to bless you with the son. You're going to have a son, and your son is going to lead to this offspring that's going to be so numerous, you can't even number how many there will be. So why? Why does God wait so long in order to perform his promise? May I suggest to you this morning that God waited because God wanted to get the most glory for that promise being performed? Is waiting on God's promise worth him receiving glory for you this morning? Because maybe you're waiting on a promise and you're struggling this morning with those same issues Abram did. Here, you have fear and you have doubt. I doubt whether or not they're really going to be able to stop using. I doubt whether or not they're really going to be able to stop watching that. I doubt whether or not I'm going to be able to have my heart healed. I doubt whether or not I'm going to receive a healing for my loved one. I doubt whether or not this relationship can be restored. 
And God says, God's will can only take place in God's time. Are you willing to wait so God can receive the glory? See, this is what it says about Abram in Romans chapter four. It says, in hope, he believed against hope. When it seemed impossible, when it seemed like he shouldn't even be hoping any longer, he continued to hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 100 years old when Isaac is finally born. And the scripture says he hoped against hope. He hoped when the world says it's foolish to hope. He believed when the world says it's foolish to keep believing. He continued to put his faith, his hope, and his belief in the Lord who could perform the promise. The world looks at what you're waiting for this morning and says it's impossible. Remember the story of the woman who was afflicted with the flow of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd gone to all of her physicians. And the scripture says that in all of those years, she had spent her livelihood. She spent all the money she had trying to find a cure that would help her stop bleeding. And when it came to that point, when the world goes and says, you know what, there's nothing more I can do for you. There's no more medication I can give you. There's no more surgeries that can happen. There's no more radiation that will take place. You go back and this woman saying, Lord, there's nothing that the world can do. But in her heart of hearts, She said, but I believe Jesus can heal me. And what did she do? In faith, in hope against hope, she got up out of her seat and she made her way through the crowd. She pushed her way through those crowds of people and in faith, she reached out and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment and immediately the flow of blood stopped and she was healed. When the world said it couldn't happen, Jesus made it happen. We serve a God who performs the impossible and he gets the glory for it. He says, look up at the stars. If you can count the stars, that's how many descendants, that's how much offspring you're gonna have. And I, I looked this up, this is from a website called universetoday.com. And for you, if you were to go out into the desert tonight and look up at the night sky, with your naked eye, you'd be able to count, if you wanted to spend the time, you could count about 9,000 stars in the night sky. That's a lot of stars, right, with your naked eye. If you have a good set of binoculars, that number increases to 200,000 stars. If you have a decent telescope that you buy at Walmart for your kids, the number increases to 15 million stars that you can observe. If you go to an observatory that has the really expensive, high-powered telescopes, the number, it jumps to the billions. And scientists estimate that in our own galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there are 400 billion stars. Now, let's think of this through a little bit further. Let's do a little bit of math. 400 billion stars in our galaxy, which is not the largest of the galaxies, they estimate that there are 140 billion galaxies that go from the center of our galaxy, 13.8 billion light years that way, that way, that way, and that way. Right? Now, that number is 10 to the 24th power. That's 10 with 24 zeros after it. That's how many stars the scientists in this article say that there are. It's a septillion is the number. A septillion stars in our universe. And this is the crazy thing. At the end of this academic article that I was reading, at the very end, the author says this, but there could be a lot more than that. And that's the end of the article. 
right? These academics, these studious people, but there could be a lot more than that. Now, here's what I want to drive home. God says, look up at the stars. If you can count them, you'll be able to count your offspring. Did Abraham have septillion offspring? No, that's not possible. What's being said here is that you look up at the stars, you're not going to be able to count or fathom the blessings that I'm going to bless you with when you trust in me, Abram. Here's the thing I want you to understand this morning is you cannot pray for more than God can give. God will always be able to outgive your prayer. If you think it's impossible, you think there's no way this could possibly happen, what the Lord is looking for is just a little bit of belief on your part. You remember the story of the dad who was struggling with his son because his son was epileptic, kept falling into the fires, and he came, he brought his son to the disciples and said, please help my son, and the disciples couldn't do anything. But Jesus approaches, and the father says to Jesus, if you can, can you help my son? If possible, will you help him? And Jesus looks him back, and this man who says, if you can, can you help? Jesus says, if you can, can you believe? And then he heals the boy, and the boy is completely delivered from these seizures, right? You cannot out-ask what God can give. The scripture says that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. We can't imagine what God is able to do. That's what the scripture says, right? He's a promise maker, but he's also a promise keeper. So shall your offspring be. So how is it that Abraham had this much of an offspring? Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 4. It says, that is why, in verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Now, not only to the adherent to the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, here's the thing. Abram, his name means exalted father. At one point in time, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. How is he the father of multitudes? He's the father of multitudes because not only the children of Israel call him their father, but everyone after the children of Israel who believed in faith in the Christ that would come is also Abraham's child. You and I are Abraham's children. So we see Abraham, he Struggled with fear, he struggled with doubt, but I want you to see this, that Abraham was saved by his faith. Abraham was saved by faith. Look at verse six. After he says, look at the stars, look and see how innumerable they're gonna be and know that that's my blessing for you, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed what God had said was true. The word believed in the Hebrew is aman, A-M-A-N, Amen. Amen. Literally, Abraham said, Amen. When God said, look at the stars, that's your offspring. Abraham said, Amen. I claim that. I receive that. I agree. That is mine. That's my promise. The word literally means to lean all of your weight upon something, to trust it to the point to where you're putting all of your marbles, all of your eggs in one basket. I am all in in following after the Lord. There's no option B. There's no plan B, right? All I'm going to do is trust in what God has spoken, and I'm leaning all my weight on his promise. What did the scripture say in Proverbs chapter 3? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all that you have. Put everything into it. Everything into it. I love that. Now, this is what I want you to understand is that that promise was given to Abram. Those words were spoken and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness before the law ever came. Over 400 years before the law came through Moses, Abraham was already counted as righteous because he believed. And the scripture says the same for you and for me as well. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul wrote, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no man may boast. Your salvation is not based upon how many promises you can keep. It's based upon God keeping his promise to you. Your salvation is not based upon your performance here on earth. Your salvation is based upon Jesus' performance on the cross. It is not of works. It's all of grace through faith. All you have to do is believe. And the scripture says, Abraham believed, Abram believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted means to be deposited into the account of. You and I were destitute. You and I were broke. You and I were in the hole. You and I were in debt. Our account had less than zero in it. There's nothing that we could do to secure or to earn our salvation. And God saw us in that state. And the scripture says that he chose, because of our belief, to deposit righteousness into our account when we didn't deserve it. There was nothing in the account. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scripture says that there is none righteous, no, not one. But here's the beauty of it. The scripture also tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. Something happened. There was an exchange that happened on the cross. See, on the cross, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus took yours and my unrighteousness, took your and my sin. The scripture says that he laid on him the iniquity of us all. The scripture says that he bore in his body our sins upon the cross. Jesus took our sins upon himself. He took our debt and he exchanged our debt and he credited to our account his righteousness. That's an amazing truth. If you want to know that you know that you're saved, all you have to do is trust that Jesus deposited into your account that righteousness. That word righteousness means to be rightly clothed. And it ties in perfectly with what Pastor Walter was talking about last week, those skins of Eden where they were ashamed when they were naked and so God slayed an animal and covered them to be rightly clothed. But the word also means to be accepted. There's two offerings that were brought. Abel brought an offering, didn't he? He brought an offering of a slain lamb, but Cain brought an offering which was the fruit of his labor, the fruit of the ground, his own toil and sweat, his works. And the scripture tells us that the offering of Abel, which was a slain animal, a blood sacrifice, was accepted, while the offering of Cain, which was the work of his own sweat, the sweat of his own brow, that was rejected. This word righteousness means to be rightly clothed and to be accepted. And the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that God made us accepted in the beloved, that we are accepted in Christ. That we don't have to worry about bringing an offering that's the sweat of our own brow. We just bring in faith 
and we say, Lord, you sent your son to die in my place and we become accepted, rightly clothed, righteous in the eyes of God. That there was a trade, an exchange that happened on the cross. Jesus took my sin and he gave to me his righteousness. It's not fair, but I receive it in faith and I say, thank you, Lord, that in your love you did that for me. So here's the thing with Abraham's faith. His faith, his belief is what credited his account with righteousness. But Abraham over and over again proved his faith by his works. See, there's some people who think, well, that's just a cheap way to be saved. There's some people who believe in something called cheap grace, that you know what, as long as you believe in the cross, that you can basically do whatever you do or live however you live, and God will cover up that sin, but that's not the case. See, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham took that son that was promised him, Isaac, his only son, and he offered him up as an offering to the Lord. And at the last minute, God said, okay, now I see. Abraham, stop. I see that you believe me. But this is what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11 about this instance. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. He considered, listen to this, he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In Abraham's mind, God, if you told me that this is going to be what leads to the many nations, that my promised son will lead to my offspring, and if you're calling me to sacrifice him now, I believe in your promises so much. I believe that you're able to perform so much that the only way this makes sense to me is that I'm going to go ahead and offer up my son as an offering to you, and you're going to raise him from the dead. That's the kind of faith Abraham had. James would tell us in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. James would say, you show me your faith without works, I'm gonna show you my faith by my works. Right? So faith will always show itself through works. So the first promise is the promise of the descendants. And the second point, I promise, is gonna go much quicker. The second promise is Abram was promised land. Look at verse seven with me. And he, God, said to him, Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He says to Abram, remember, Abram, I have a plan. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. God has a plan. Remember, Abram, you were in Ur. You were worshiping the moon. You were lost. You were taken up in idolatry. But I had a plan, and I called you from that place to come and to follow me. Just like many of you were called out of your darkness to follow after Jesus. God says to you this morning, listen, I have a plan. I have a plan. So look at what happens here. Verse 8. But he said... Abram says to the Lord, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How will I know that you're going to give me the promise of this land? Verse 9, he said to him, God said to Abram, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. This is what is happening here. In this culture, the way that a contract was signed or that an agreement was reached is the parties would take and they would bring together a couple of animals and they would cut the animals in half from head to toe. 
they would flay that animal open and they would walk through the animal and meet in the middle and grab one another's wrists and to shake, in essence saying, this covenant, this promise, this agreement is sealed. So Abram here is saying, God, I want proof. I've been waiting on these other promises, the promise of, a, of an offspring, promise of descendants, and now you're saying that I'm going to have this land. Well, I want proof. I want you to put that into writing. And so in God's grace, what God does is he says to Abram, okay, I'm going to make you a promise. And he says to Abram, gather the supplies that are needed for a contract to be signed. And so Abram prepares the offerings. He prepares the sacrifices. He lays them all out. And there he's waiting for God to show up so that this agreement can be struck, so that they can shake hands, so to speak. Are you following me? Okay, God, you said that you want me to prepare it. I've prepared the contract. I'm ready to receive your promise. All you need to do now, God, is to show up, and I'll meet you in the middle, and we'll shake on it. That's what's going on here. Look at what happens in verse 12. He's been waiting all day, and as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and there will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. He's alluding to Egypt and what will happen in Egypt with the children of Israel. Verse 14, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with the great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17, look at what happens. Abraham falls asleep. God tells him what's going to happen in the future of Israel. And while Abraham is asleep, look at what happens. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, on that day the Lord made a covenant, a promise with Abram, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. While Abram slept, the Lord showed up. And the Lord passed through those carcasses on his own. He didn't need Abraham to meet him halfway. He wasn't waiting for Abraham to shake on it. Why? Because God is saying, look, I made this promise, and I alone will keep this promise. It has nothing to do with you. I am a promise maker, but I am also a promise keeper. And so he walks that grisly path alone. Listen to what the scripture says in the way of promises that God has for you and for me. And I'm going to go through these quickly, but it's on purpose I want you to have a sense of being overwhelmed with the goodness of God and his promises. Exodus 14, the Lord will fight for you and you will only have to be silent. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Isaiah 54, no weapon that is formed against you shall, shall prosper. Psalm 34, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Isaiah chapter 40, he gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall be exhausted. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings of eagles. 
They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Deuteronomy 31, it is I the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Romans chapter 8, I know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so that you are not lacking in any good gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.